Thanks for tuning in to the Follow Church weekly message. Our hope and prayer is that you will find this message uplifting and challenging as we seek to follow Jesus in our community for His glory. Let's get into Romans 5, 1 to 11. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into his grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You see, just at the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if, while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now been received reconciliation. Well, good morning, everyone. Thank you for coming this morning. It's a very cold morning this morning. And I know if persecution ever breaks out in the church, you're the ones that will stick around because you've come out when it's cold. So well done. It's only August today, but you can tell looking at the front that it's August. But who knows that if we blink a couple of times, we're going to find ourselves at Christmas. This time of year, it's kind of like a slippery slope down towards Christmas. And I don't know about you, but I'm thrilled about that. I love Christmas time. So many things to enjoy at Christmas. Of course, we celebrate Jesus' birth with grateful hearts. Uh, it's a time for holidays for most people. Uh, you get to connect with family. There's lots of great food. Who knows, there's probably a bit too much great food at Christmas time. Um, and it's just a really great time of year. You get to give and receive presents. And all those things are really exciting. But for our five-year-old son, Lenny, none of those things are the things that truly excite him the most. The thing that Lenny gets most excited about is the Advent calendar. On December 1, the Advent calendar goes up and it's kind of like the first fruits of Christmas. The calendar goes on the wall and the tree goes up on the 1st of December and we're on our way towards Christmas. Now, Lenny is a really joyful kid if you've met him. Um, he's quite exuberant with his joy and he's one of those kids that can't keep his joy on the inside. And so when the joy builds up, 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 up and it gets to the top of his head and starts to overflow, he finds it coming all the way back down to his hands. And when he gets excited, he does this. And so when it gets to December 1 and he goes to the Advent calendar, he, he stands before and he says, can we open the calendar today? And he gets ready and we open it up and guess what's inside? A chocolate, always good before breakfast. So he has a chocolate. And then the second day he comes back to the Advent calendar. It's the same thing. What are we going to get today? Open it up, guess what's in there second day? Chocolate. We all know it's the fruit of heaven's trees. In fact, before the fall it was probably chocolate and after the fall it became fruit. Fruit's good, but it's not chocolate. Looking forward to Jesus' return. But Lenny gets so excited every day because there is something new and wonderful behind those little doors in the calendar. And I think the book of Romans, uh, more than any other book in the Bible, is really like that. Every chapter we look at, every, serv- uh, 
every verse we explore, we seem to unpack another one of the gospel treasures for us to enjoy. And so what Romans and the Advent calendar have in common is that it's only Jesus who has the ability to make these treasures possible. Without Jesus, there would be no Advent. Without Jesus, we don't have access to these wonderful gospel gifts. And so today, the title of my message is simply, Only Jesus. Only Jesus can open these things up for us. Throughout our series so far, we've unpacked a number of those treasures, a number of those gifts. And last week, we looked at the one of justification which we sort of explored throughout the series, but Ray really honed in on it last week. If you missed the message, have a listen to that. It was a great message. But justification really is a twofold blessing in the life of a Christian. And it's twofold because firstly, it involves the removal of our guilt and shame and the penalty of our sin. But at the same time, it's making that same sinner who has their guilt removed righteous before God. So Jesus, when he died on the cross, he died in our place. He took our sin. And when we put our faith in Christ, our sin and guilt is transferred from us to Jesus. This is a wonderful thing at the gospel. At the same time, as we hand that to him, his righteousness is handed back to us in return. And so what Jesus deserved, you and I get in Christ. And what we deserve, he took at the cross. That is wonderful good news. That is a wonderful treasure of the gospel that only Jesus can open for us. And so today we're going to look at three more treasures. These are like chocolates in the Advent calendar this morning. And just like Lenny, as we stand before these three gifts, I think we should be excited. You don't have to flap your hands, but you can tell your face that this is exciting because we should be joyful about these three things today. And this is what they are. We're going to look at these three treasures. The treasure of peace, joy, and reconciliation. Only Jesus can help us truly experience these things in life in a lasting way. So let's start by looking at the gift of peace. Peace is something that I think all of us want in life. All of us just want a little bit of peace and quiet, a little bit of peace of mind. We want to live in a peaceful neighborhood. There's a justice of the peace. There's peacemakers and peacekeepers. We want peace in our relationships. The hippies want to peace out, right? And eventually all of us want to what? Rest in peace. Peace, 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 peace. We all want peace. For Kim and I, peace is often felt most obviously when our parents or in-laws take the kids overnight. We love our kids. Woohoo! Yep, we love our kids. And we love them so much that we love to send them on adventures with the grandparents. And on those occasions, we, we gently, you know, and eagerly kind of pack their stuff and then we sort of usher them to the front door and then we kind of gently shove them out. And we say, we'll see you in a week. And usually mum and dad say, we'll be back tomorrow. But it's worth asking the question, right? It's, it's worth a try. And so when I met Kim, she was a single mum. Adele, our oldest daughter, was six months old. And so we've never really experienced what it's like to have time alone as a couple. And so when we occasionally get it these days, we kind of look at each other. And the question going through our head is, what on earth do we do now? What do we do with all this time? Uh, we can walk around the house naked for the first time ever. You'd be relieved to know we don't, but we could make our little Garden of Eden experience at home. We don't do that, don't visualise that this morning, Um, but we don't do that. But often the truth is this, that what we usually do is we do nothing. And I'll tell you why, because when you're always doing something, sometimes it's just nice to do nothing. And so we sort of do nothing. We sit around and we do nothing, we read a book, we actually get to know each other a bit, all that sort of stuff that's important. But for us, that's kind of a peaceful time in life. When the kids are away, it's quiet, we have some privacy, we can kind of just 
uh, be together. And that's a lovely thing. Maybe for you, peace is like that. Maybe for you, it's a cup of tea and a book. Maybe it's going for a walk in the bush or visiting Pakenham Beach. Maybe it's a massage or a nana nap. Any of those activities can bring peace for a moment in our lives, can't they? But I don't know if you've noticed this, those feelings, they just don't seem to last. Why don't they last? Well, the kids come home, right? And the guy next door mows the lawn during your nana nap. And after searching for hours, you finally realise there's no beach at Pakenham. And so all these things, this, this kind of peace, it's fleeting. And so I think Paul is talking to the Roman church in this passage about more than a peaceful feeling. I think he's talking about something so much deeper, so much greater, so much more lasting than that kind of peace. What he's talking about is peace in the relationship between us and God. Verse 1 says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, in light of that justification, we have peace. We have peace with God. How? Through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. You see, only Jesus the Son can truly bring peace between us and God the Father. In this series, we've talked a little bit about what we call the wrath of God, what Romans describes as the wrath of God. Now, the wrath of God is simply uh, God's anger against sin and injustice in his world. And so the the truth is that we're all contributors to that sin and injustice in many different ways. And therefore, the wrath of God, the anger of God, is directed towards us. It's hurtling towards us. It's hard to be at peace with God when his wrath is directed towards us for all the sins that each of us have committed. In fact, it's hard to have peace in any area of life, really, when you're feeling guilty or afraid of being caught for doing the wrong things. And so this morning, I'm going to kind of step out the front here into a little bit of confession time, and I'm going to tell a story that maybe my parents haven't even heard, and they're sitting on the second row, and I don't really want to make eye contact right now. But right now is confession time. I want to tell you about something that happened when I was a teenager. There was a bit of a fad when I was a teenager where my friends and I would ride around on our push bikes, and we would pinch padlocks off people's letterboxes. Still not making eye contact. (laughs) But we would ride around, we each had a set of keys, I've got no idea where those keys came from, but we had this big fat set of keys, and we'd ride around in our push bikes, and we would look for locks to pick, and we ended up with this huge collection of padlocks, completely useless, but a huge collection of padlocks, and I remember celebrating when you'd pick the really good locks. Like if you could get a Lockwood lock, they're really hard to pick, and so if you got a Lockwood lock, you would take it to all your friends and say, look at the beauty I've got, and then you'd put it on the mantelpiece, and you'd show everyone except your parents, look at this lock that I've got, it's amazing. And we would ride around and we'd do that, and it was, you know, in our minds, a little bit of fun. Um, But as we snuck around on our bikes, the news got out, and this epidemic hit the local papers. And all of a sudden, they were talking in the local papers about these people going around and stealing people's locks from their letterboxes. And so I remember sometime later that um, I I realised I was afraid of being locked up for stealing locks. That's ironic, right? I thought maybe they'd throw me in prison and use all the padlocks to lock me in that cell, which would have been okay because I could pick them all anyway. But that's what I was thinking, you know. There was a sense of irony about being afraid. And obviously I did that a long time ago. And I've repented. And there's a lot of policemen in this congregation, so I'm not sure whether I should call a lawyer or just stop talking. But if Ray Gundon comes up to me after the service and says, hands behind your back, and he escorts me out, you'll know why. And I'll just keep preaching from prison like the Apostle Paul. But I remember... 
in that time of my life, there was no peace because I was always worried about getting caught. But what I was more worried about was the wrath of my parents and the law coming down on me. I felt guilty. This is kind of what it's like. It's kind of what's happening before we meet Jesus. The wrath of God is hurtling towards us. And there's nothing we can do to escape it because we know that we're guilty. We know that we've been caught doing the wrong things. We know that we deserve to pay the penalty. And so we can have this same feeling when it comes to a relationship or an interaction with a holy God. We can feel guilty because of our sin. And as a result, there's no peace in that relationship. No peace at all because in the justice of God, sin must be punished and each of us contribute to sin. Well, in this passage today, as we open the door of this gospel calendar, it says that we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. Through a relationship with Jesus, we no longer stand as objects of God's wrath, but instead we stand in God's grace, his undeserved love, which we have accessed by faith. Now, the Greek word for access here is too long for me to pronounce, but it gives the idea of coming into the presence chamber of a king, stepping into the presence of a king. Now, let me tell you, the presence chamber of a king is the last place on earth you want to be if you're uninvited. It's the last place on earth you want to be if you're uninvited and you're also a rebel against that king's kingdom. Because if you're a traitor, if you're committed treason, if you're a rebel, then it's going to be off with your head in the presence of the king. And so you don't want to find yourself in the presence of a king like that. However, if you've been recommended to the king by someone they trust and you're invited in, that's a different story. You'll be able to access and enjoy the peace and prosperity of that king. You'll find safety and security and you'll access the blessing of their kingdom. You won't fear the king any longer, but you will live in peace with that king. I think this is exactly the point that Paul's making. Only Jesus can grant us access into the presence of the King of Kings. And in Christ, uh, Hebrews chapter 4 tells us that we can approach God's throne of grace with boldness and confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace, undeserved love, to help us in our time of need. This is the nature of our relationship with God in Christ. But only Jesus can give us that. And so when Paul talks about peace, he's not talking about a feeling, he's talking about a relationship. But when that relationship with God is good, here's the great thing, that the feelings actually follow. Because in this relationship with God, we have this security, this deep found security that we are the children of God, that we are forgiven of our sin, we are righteous in his sight, we are precious and valuable, we are loved unconditionally, and we have access 24 hours a day, seven days a week, into his presence. And from that understanding of who we are flows peace and an unshakable joy. And that's the second treasure that we're going to unwrap today, the treasure of joy. In Christ, we have peace. And as we open the second flap today on the calendar, we find that we also have joy. And I think it's really exciting. Joy is a wonderful thing to have in our lives. It's a great gift to be given. And so let's talk about joy. If you have a look at verse 2, it says, And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we rejoice. We take joy 
we have joy in all the amazing blessings of our life. Is that what it says? No, it says rejoice, take joy, have joy in our sufferings. Because sufferings produce perseverance. Perseverance produces character. Character produces hope. And hope does not disappoint because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the gift of the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Suffering is something that we wrestle with in life. Something is an issue that, suffering is an issue that we will all be touched by at some point in life. And I don't know about you, but when I come into a time of suffering in my life, usually joy is not the first thing that flows from my heart. It's not the first thing that flows from my lips. And I don't think that's a new thing for modern day believers. In fact, the great reformer, John Kelvin, wrote these words. He said, this is not the natural effect of tribulation which, as we see, provokes a great part of mankind to murmur against God and even to curse him. How true that is. The greatest accusation against God still today is this. If God is a God of love, why is there so much suffering in the world? God is a God of love. Why is there so much suffering in the world? And so I want to help you to answer that question today. And I want you to start by looking either side of you this morning. Look to your left. That means you actually have to turn your head. Yep, like that. Left, yep, uh, I got the wrong way, left. Turn right, now look around the room, look at all the faces, right, take it all in this morning. When you get home this morning, I want you to stand in front of a mirror, and I want you to look in the mirror, and I want you to see what reflects back at you when you look in the mirror. I don't know whether you'll be pleased with that or not, I'm fairly pleased, but <laughs> looking out there, maybe you all won't be, I'm not sure. But you look in the mirror today, and I want you to do that, because when you do, what reflects back at you will answer this question, why is there so much suffering in the world? Because of you. Because of me. Because of the evil inclinations of our heart. Because of our rebellion against God. Because of the way we hurt one another. Because we're greedy and selfish and gravitate to everything but God. That's why there's so much suffering in the world. That's why. We struggle through life. And so let's get this firmly in our minds today that suffering is not the result of anything God's done. It's the consequences of what we've done. That's why there's suffering in the world. This is not the way God designed it to be. But it's because of our rebellion against him that we are living in the consequences of a fallen, broken and sinful world where we're quick to blame God for every problem in our life and we're very slow to praise him for every blessing. In the midst of our suffering, God's grace is revealed in two extraordinary ways. And the first one's an obvious one. It's through the gift of his son, Jesus. We experience suffering because of our own mistakes. And because it's our fault, we should be the ones that are held accountable for those mistakes. But by God's grace, he sent his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have eternal life because his son died to pay the penalty for our sins. We don't deserve that. Not only that, but he also promises us an incredible eternal future in him, and we don't deserve that either. The Bible tells us that a new heavens and a new earth will be here when Christ returns, where there will be no more pain or suffering, no more death or sin, where every tear will be wiped from our eyes on a permanent basis, and we will experience relationship with God beyond anything we've ever experienced and probably beyond anything we can even imagine. That's an incredible hope that we have. That's paradise of Eden, but perfected. That's the future hope we have as Christians. Even in the midst of suffering, we can lift our eyes above the temporary circumstances to the hope we have in Jesus. The Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, he says, For our light 
and momentary troubles. Now, we could read that and go, well, Paul's probably got a pretty cushy life. He, he experienced all sorts of incredible persecution. The people he wrote the letter of Romans to, they were experiencing all kinds of persecution as well. They were in the Roman Empire being ruled by a guy called Nero, who was one of the most brutal, cruel men you'd ever encounter, and he hated Christians, and he would persecute them. He'd invent ways to make it worse every time. He would put stakes in his garden, and he'd tie people to the stakes, and he'd set them on fire to light up his garden at night. That's the kind of guy he was. And so Paul writes this letter to the Romans who are suffering incredible persecution. In in Corinthians, he says, for our light and momentary troubles. They don't sound light and momentary. When you're on a stake being burnt, it sounds pretty permanent. Paul says, no, no, they're light and momentary troubles that are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen, sin, what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. There's an eternal hope that you and I have in Christ that keeps us even in the difficult times of life. So does God care about the suffering in this world? Does he care about what you and I go through? Absolutely he does. So much so that he sent his one and only son to die in our place so that we could escape this for all eternity. And all we need to do is accept that free gift by putting our faith in Jesus. That's an incredible thing. Only Jesus gives us that hope, that future hope. But there's also a present hope that we find in the gospel. And it's outlined in this passage today. And this is the second blessing of suffering. It's this, that suffering develops our lives. Suffering develops our lives. This particular verse in Romans chapter 5 is one of my life scriptures. And I'm reminded of every time I go through a difficult time in life and every time I watch St Kilda Football Club play football, I'm reminded of the trials and the struggles of this life, and I'm reminded of this verse. Paul says we can rejoice in our sufferings. That makes no rational sense at all. And as Kelvin already pointed out, it's not our natural response. No one wakes up and goes, yes, I've got a migraine. No one stubs their toes and goes, beauty, I want to do that again. Nobody rejoices in those difficult times when we have the flu, when people suffer through cancer, when we lose loved ones. People don't rejoice in suffering. And the question we ask of God so often in the midst of suffering is the question, why? Why, God, aren't you answering my prayer? Why, God, are you allowing me to go through this challenge? Why, God, aren't you removing this pain in my life? But there's a question, a different question that we more rarely ask God in suffering, and it's the question, what? Lord, what are you teaching me in this season? Lord, what are you developing in my character? Lord, what do you want me to learn? God, what are you shaping and refining in my life in the midst of this suffering that will make me more like Jesus? I think Paul makes the point that perhaps what is a better question to ask than why? Because suffering produces things in our life that wouldn't be produced if we didn't go through suffering. Suffering produces perseverance. You don't have to persevere when life's all rosy. But suffering produces perseverance. It makes us resilient in our faith. Suffering produces character. It shapes who we are. Character produces hope, and hope doesn't disappoint. And this is where I think joy comes from. Because even in the presence of suffering, we have been promised that God is working all things together for good for those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. If you're a Christian here today, God loves you and he's called you according to his purpose. And so you can grab hold of that promise that even in the most difficult times of life, God's at work. 
And he's turning all those things around for your good and for mine in Christ. What a wonderful promise that is. That even in suffering, God is for us. He's working in our lives. That's a wonderful thing to know. The truth of your life is that you are currently the person today because of some of the difficult times you've already come through. And the truth on the other side of the coin is that you will one day be the person Jesus wants you to be because of the sufferings you're going to go through in the future. So I want to encourage you today that none of us are who we used to be. Aren't we glad about that? I don't steal padlocks anymore. (laughs) So grateful I'm not who I used to be, but we're also not who we're going to be. And every day of our lives, we, we know this truth that God's not finished with us yet. It's what the Bible calls sanctification. Every day he's working in our lives through the power of the Holy Spirit. He's refining our character. He's changing our attitudes. He's making us more like Jesus. If we open ourselves up to the work of the Holy Spirit, we'll become more like Christ every day until the day he returns. And it says, in the twinkling of an eye, we'll be made like him. What a magnificent promise that is. And so we never stop growing. We never stop changing because the Holy Spirit never stops working in our lives. And so it's really important to remember that God's working in our lives. Wilson says in his commentary, there is no shortcut to glory. The believer must follow the path marked out for them by their saviour, for the cross always precedes the crown. As you face difficult times of life, don't see suffering as an enemy. I want to encourage you today to embrace it as an opportunity and be joyful that God is doing something in your life, even in the midst of what you're walking through. Before I finish on joy, I want to just highlight that there's a difference between happiness and joy. I guess we all know that. But happiness is fleeting and it comes and goes depending on our circumstances. It's a little bit like a roller coaster. When you're on a roller coaster, you get to the top of the roller coaster and everything's calm and peaceful and we can kind of see into the distance. We can see the future. It all looks rosy up there. And life can be like that. We have those highs in life, don't we? But we all know there's also lows and sometimes we come crashing down in life and we we ride the roller coaster down. And the thing about happiness is this, that the high of happiness when our life comes crashing down is replaced so often with the low of sadness. We find ourselves feeling sad and feelings of despair. And if you were to track the circumstances of your life over the years and at the same time you tracked your happiness and sadness, you would probably find that they travel on the same railway. They're very dependent on your circumstances. Joy, on the other hand, is not of ourselves. It's a gift of God through the Holy Spirit. And so when we accept Christ, we are filled with the Spirit of God. And what are the first three fruits of the Spirit? Love, the most important and most powerful fruit that we can have in our lives. And then what's the second one? Love, joy. Third one, peace. The two things we're talking about today, joy and peace, are not something we have to conjure up of ourselves. They're a gift of the Holy Spirit in our lives. They're not the same as happiness. And so while happiness goes up and down following the circumstances of our lives, grace is like this. It's constant. It's permanent because it's a gift and fruit of the Spirit working in our lives. Joy and peace are the gift of God in Christ through His Spirit. And so stop wasting your lives looking for lasting joy and peace everywhere else apart from God. Because only Jesus can provide peace and joy that truly lasts. That's that's why the joy of the Lord is our strength. The joy of the Lord is our strength because it doesn't disappear when the circumstances change. It's constant through everything we go through. And if we're not feeling joyful, all we have to do is ask the Holy Spirit to fill us afresh and that joy will return into our lives because only Jesus can bring a joy like that. And so today we've opened up two treasures so far. 
We've opened up peace. Wonderful gift of God to have peace in our lives, peace in our relationship with God. The second door we've opened up was the one of joy. We can have joy in all circumstances. But the third door we come to today is the gift of reconciliation. Look at verse 6. It says, You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we've now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we live Save from God's wrath through him. For if, while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Reconciliation is a wonderful gift in our lives. But let me tell you, we can never truly understand reconciliation unless we first found ourselves in a broken relationship. If you've experienced a broken relationship with someone, you know that it's a yucky feeling. There's tension. There's uneasiness. There's nastiness. It's, it's true that things just don't feel right. I remember in my own life from when I was in prep all the way through to year 11, I had a best mate. And we did absolutely everything together. We went everywhere together. We um, went on surfing trips. We slept over at each other's houses all the time. We rode to school together every day. We stole locks together. We played in the same sporting teams. I mean, we were inseparable. We did everything together. But in year 11, that all changed. That relationship came crashing down in a pretty spectacular way. We had a huge falling out over some ridiculously little things. Isn't it crazy that so often we throw away friendships over the smallest, stupidest little things? And yet that's what we did. We had these little niggling things that happened and it ended up in this huge breakdown. Where nearly every day at school, we'd end up fighting. We'd play footy. As soon as there was a tackle or a bump, it would just go off. We'd explode. There'd be fists and uh, you know, feet going everywhere and people dragging us off. And then over time, people started to take sides. Some people took his side and some people took my side. And I remember going to school every day and there was this tension and this yucky feeling. In year 11, we both got in a lot of trouble, some internal suspensions. And at the end of year 11, I had no choice but to leave the school and to start year 12 at a different school. Now, year 12 is hard enough without starting at a brand new school. It was a really difficult season in life. And I'm thinking back to that time, I've got to say that hate is not a word that was too strong for the way I felt about him at that stage. I hated him. I really did. And he hated me. We'd gone from being best friends to becoming bitter enemies. And I'm going to say those feelings of anger and unforgiveness, they stayed with me for a couple of years. And I'm going to say they made a huge impact in my life in a really negative way. I went from being a happy person to a sad person, from being an easygoing person to an angry person. I heard once someone say that unforgiveness is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. And that's what I experienced in my life. My unforgiveness, my bitterness, my rage, it was killing me spiritually. And it wasn't until a few years later I was challenged in a message at church on forgiveness and through prayer and repentance, I came to the point of completely forgiving that guy and just wiping the slate clean so that if I saw him in the street, I'd, I'd, I was at the point I could go and say hi. But despite that, I had no contact details and we'd never seen each other again. It wasn't until years later when Facebook was invented. Thank God for Facebook. Some young people looking at me thinking, was there a time when there was no Facebook? <laughs> yes, there was. It's probably a better time, but there was a time without Facebook. But I remember after Facebook was invented, soon after I get this message in my inbox. 
And I open it up and I see the name and my heart starts to beat. And I think, what's this all about? And he starts off this message saying, hey, I wouldn't be surprised if I'm the last person you ever want to hear from again. He said, but I want to tell you a little bit about my life and what's happened since we're in relationship. And he's moved to New South Wales and he said that he's always regretted what happened and he's come to realise that friendships like ours don't come along very often in life and he wished that we hadn't thrown it away. And so I sat and I prayed and I wrote back and I said, get lost. No, I didn't really. <laughs> You'd be relieved to know I didn't do that. I'm your pastor. I tried to exercise forgiveness now and then. And so I wrote back. I said, get stuff, no, only joking. I said, the same thing. You know, I have deep regret about how we threw our relationship away. And I'm sorry for the way that I behaved in that circumstance. And I'm thrilled that we can be reconciled again. And the wonderful thing about this is through a whole series of you know, messages we had, we were no longer enemies, but we were once again reconciled as friends. You see, when we're in conflict, what we like to do is we like to go back to back, don't we? So I don't want to look at that person. I don't want to think about that person. I don't want to go towards that person. And they're the same. They're over here. And they're going, oh, Luke's an idiot. I don't want to talk to him. You know, I'm not going to forgive him. I'm going to do my own thing. But the gospel actually causes us to turn around. Instead of being back to back, he wants us to go face to face. And the power of the gospel, when we actually live it out, the gospel is powerful to receive in our own lives. But we all know it's not just for us to hoard for ourselves. It's to be lived out. And so the power of the gospel happens when we take what God has gloriously poured into our lives and we actually turn face to face and we apply it to other people, people who have done the wrong thing by us. And people will say, yeah, yeah, but you don't know what they've done to me, Luke. You know, if, if you knew what they'd done, then you would know I can't forgive them. Well, what's grace? It's undeserved love. That's what grace is. The nature of grace is they don't deserve it, but you give it anyway, just like God has given it to us when we clearly don't deserve it because we keep falling short. That's the power of grace. That's what sets a community like this apart from every other community on earth. That we are called to be people who have Christ at the centre, to live out the gospel and to be people known for the grace we express to people in our lives. And so when that moment happened, when I had that reconciliation with my friend, it was a life-changing experience in a human relationship. But there's a bigger relationship at play in our lives and it's our relationship with God. All of us have found ourselves separated from God in a broken relationship. And if you break down the fault line, whose fault is this breakdown? When you look at my friend and I, you know, you could probably split it about 50-50 or maybe 60 him and 40 me, right? Because that's always how it is. It's not my fault, it's his, right? You could break it down. But when you look at the fault line between us and God, we've got our, our part over here and you've got God's part over here. And what you'll find over here is 0%, 0% God's fault, 100% our fault, we find ourselves separated from a relationship with God and there's absolutely nothing we can do to achieve reconciliation with a holy God because we just keep falling short. Verse 6 tells us that we were, what's the word there? Powerless. The truth is, apart from the work of the Spirit of God, we, could never, we would never even seek a relationship with God. It's only by the grace of God, through the work of His Holy Spirit, that He would ever open up our eyes to the gospel. In fact, by our own sin and rebellion, we have set ourselves up as enemies of God. We've put ourselves back to back with him. If there's someone you don't want to set yourself up against, it's God, the God who created you, the God who created the universe, and yet that's what we've done. We're separated, and we could never be righteous in his sight through our own effort. But here's the glorious news of the gospel today. It's not about your effort. It's about his work at the cross. 
While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The godly for the ungodly. Notice it doesn't say that when we got our act together, when we got our act together, Christ, then he died for us. No, no, while we were still stuff-ups, while we were still rebelling against God, while we were turning our back on him saying, no thanks, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's a wonderful truth. You know, we hear this truth every week. We hear the gospel every week. Yeah, it's all about grace, and that's wonderful, but we live our lives like we don't believe it. So often live our lives like our relationship with God is dependent on how good we are, how many things we serve in, how often we read our Bible, how often we pray, how many charities we support. And we have this thing that I've got to keep earning my relationship with God. To the point some people think, well, if I got hit by a bus today, and I just said a swear word, which is probably natural when you see a bus coming towards you. <laughs> if I die before I repent, I go straight to hell. I'm not in a relationship with God. Let me tell you, that's not the gospel. That's what they call Russian roulette. That's what they call a game of chicken. It's fluke, and it's no assurance of salvation whatsoever. Jesus didn't die for us because we deserved it. He died for us because he loves us. If he died for us when we were still sinners, we can bank on the fact that his grace will cover us in the times that we fall short because he didn't die for us because we deserved it in the first place. So we can bank on that. That's the assurance we have. And because he took our sin, that obstacle has been removed and we can step back into the presence of the God who created us. That's a wonderful truth. Absolutely incredible. The presence of the king where we find everlasting peace continual joy and reconciliation with him. That's absolutely incredible. That's what we call the gospel. This morning, I don't know where you're at with Jesus. Maybe you're in a relationship with him. And if you are, then we rejoice together today. We can have that joy that that is constant and everlasting. Today's a great reminder for you of the many blessings of the gospel unwrapped and revealed so powerfully in the letter to the Romans. But maybe today you're here and you've never accepted him as your Lord and Savior. Or perhaps one day you did but you've walked away, today's an opportunity to embrace him again, to invite him back into your life as the Lord of your life, to accept that he's paid the penalty for you and have that assurance that only Jesus, only Jesus can give. The alternative is the alternative that so many people take, that we spend the rest of our lives trying to find peace and joy in all the things of this world to only find that they'll always leave us short, only ever providing a fleeting glimpse of what only Jesus can truly give. Thanks for listening to our message this week. If it's stirred your heart and you would like to talk to someone more about it or pray with someone, please get in touch with us at info at follow.church and one of our pastoral team will get back to you as soon as possible. If you'd like more information about Follow and our various ministries, including weekly service times and location, please check out our website, www.follow.church. Thanks again for joining us. God bless.